The static environment of the First World War benefited the use of snipers on the battlefield. Though they had already existed, known as sharpshooters or marksmen until the First World War, the First World War did a lot to normalize the use of snipers and broaden their job. Originally, the sniper's only job was to hunt and kill enemy combatants, either targets of significance or opportunity, but late in the war, the sniper's job grew to include scouting. After the war, Major H. Hesketh Pritchard, the first British commandant of the first sniper observation and sniping school, broke the sniping war into four periods. In the beginning, the German Empire utilized snipers to brutal efficiency, controlling the front. After a full year of being sniped at, the British began their own sniper school, evening out the sniper war. Once the British school gained traction, their side gained an advantage over the stagnant German efforts, due to the new tactics that the British included. Pritchard's phases of the sniper war are considered to be accurate and have provided the base for the study of the sniper war on the Western Front. As previously stated, prior to the First World War, most armies utilized snipers or marksmen to inflict casualties on the enemy. The term sniper comes from the German word for marksman, Scharfschütze. During the First World War, these precision snipers, shooters, became known as snipers getting their name from the small, agile snipe that was hunted in Scotland and England. The word that started off as a private, non-military connotation quickly became synonymous with premeditated and unremorseful killing. For the first year of the war, the German snipers dominated the British on the Western Front. This is incredibly ironic because the British had already experienced the devastating power of marksmanship against their ranks during the Boer Wars at the turn of the century. The Boers set up a hit-and-run ambushes and ran circles around the British in their territory. The British often found themselves outshot by enemies they rarely saw. The Boers noticed how reliant most soldiers were on their commanding officers. This led them to target officers and NCOs, which weakened the British army structure, leaving their ranks in chaos as men dropped dead around them. Many of the officers were indoctrinated with the unrealistic Victorian attitude of war being fought by an officer and a gentleman during their attendance of the British public school system. The Boers' impact on the British army, morale, and ranks should have shown the British how a small number of highly skilled marksmen, without the need of any technology other than good weapons and sharp eyes, could take them down. However, the British belief in fair play and their ignorance to the lessons of the Boer War led to their suffering in the early parts of the First World War. The Germans kicked off the sniper war in, in World War I, controlling the Western Front for the entirety of the first year. Their prominence was due to Allied incompetence, but also to the German superiority in tactics and the tools of sniping. Quote, By the early 20th century, Imperial, Imperial Germany was a world leader in most military technologies especially optics, end quote. John L. Plaster, The History of Sniping and Sharpshooting. Germany had the technology, and with their proud social hunting pastime, they also had the manpower to utilize it. Germany recruited and armed snipers from the beginning of the war, making them the first combatant nation to do so. Other than some confiscated hunting rifles, the German snipers were armed with the standard infantryman's Gewehr 98 Mauser bolt-action rifle. 
Germany chose to equip their snipers with standard rifles instead of commercial specialty rifles to cut the cost of producing a specialized sniper weapon. Ironically enough, the Germans chose the same rifle that the Boers had imported and used to decimate the British during their conflict. The German snipers operated alone for the most part. They spotted and shot their own targets, but they also received help from infantry sentries in the trenches who often called for snipers to target someone specific in their area of operation. As far as they were concerned, any British soldier, NCO, or officer who fell to the shooting of a sniper was one less enemy to worry about. According to British sources, a single battalion in, in a quiet sector would lose an average of 12 to 18 men to snipers. Any false movement could lead to a soldier's untimely death at the hands of a German sniper because it was estimated that it took barely three seconds for a German sniper to spot, shoot, and kill his target. According to G.D. Sheffield's Officer Man Relations, the other rank's perspective, retrieved from Michael S. Nieberg's The World War I Reader, in some units, officers wore private uniforms, the rank badges on the sleeves replaced by unobtrusive pips on the shoulder, as protection against snipers. The German sniper control demoralized the Allied forces. As a weapon, the sniper operated as much psychologically as it did tactically. Their presence shook the enemy's morale so much that snipers dared not show their faces to the enemy, for if they did, they rarely survived. The tiny entry wound in front became an exit wound as big as a fist, spilling brains, bones, and brawn everywhere, intensely demoralizing. It was the sight to sicken even the hardest soldiers. Andy Duggan through the crosshairs, A History of Snipers. Tactically, the German snipers blinded the British and French by taking out their periscopes so as to deny their observation of no man's land. Snipers operated everywhere in the battlefield. First, in the trenches, snipers sought out niches between sandbags to settle their rifles in, in to avoid silhouetting themselves above the parapet. The German trenchers fit themselves well to this tactic because of the irregular parapet that they had. The British trenches, however, were neatly maintained and squared with sandbags and timber, causing the British snipers to have to carve out their own firing holes for their rifles. In an entrenched position, the snipers shot as close as the trenches were. When snipers crawled out into no man's land, they could be considerably closer than the trenches. Often, their intended target was dead before they even had a chance to hear the shot. The shelled-out no-man's-land provided great opportunity for cover for snipers. Cover could include hollowed-out animal car carcasses, cast-iron trees, and ground dugouts. Some snipers were so confident that they utilized the dead bodies of enemies in no-man's-land for cover. In the middle of 1915, after a year of unanswered sniping, the British decided to establish their own sniper school. The school was based in Bethune, France, and became known as the First Army Sniper Observation and Scouting School. Captain H. Hesketh Pritchard became the first commandant and trained many of its first students. The school's development helped turn the tide of the sniping war towards the Allies. First, snipers refined their shooting and were taught the three components of the art of sniping, finding a mark, defining the mark, and hitting the mark. Alongside refining their shooting, snipers also learned proper care and maintenance of rifle scopes, methods of zeroing a rifle, and how to estimate distance and wind strength. This, the school 
the sniper developed from a single-shot assassin to the modern scout sniper that we know today. Another aspect introduced by the school was the use of the ghillie suit. The, these suits consisted of a loose hessian burlap robe covered in tufts of brown and green material and bundles, bundles of grass that blended into the landscape. The school also introduced the use of the two-man sniper teams instead of the German one-man style. The team operated as a shooter and a spotter, switching off at regular intervals to lessen eye strain and fatigue. The establishment of the British Sniper School evened the sniper war between the two armies. Once the newly trained British snipers reached the front lines, they immediately impacted the German morale and sniper ability. Almost immediately, the British snipers took over the Western Front, and the Allies gained a clean, clear advantage. The first objective for the British, British was to isolate and pick off German snipers, and as German casualties mounted, British morale improved. Even though the snipers were a key factor in raising morale, the snipers themselves were not well liked by their Allied infantry. Being a sniper increased one's rations and excused him from normal trench duties and allowed them to move around and pick their own positions. This, alongside the hate that their positions often felt from the enemy, led to snipers being disliked by their allies. A hate was an enemy artillery bombardment upon known or suspected sniper positions to stop this infantry. To stop this, infantry soldiers would attempt to bribe snipers with tea and cigarettes so that they would move elsewhere for fear of drawing German fire. Alongside the tactical sniping aimed at inflicting casualties or blinding the enemy, reconnaissance, sniper duels also occurred. Sniper duels personalized the fight and transformed the conflict into a war of individuals, almost like the dogfights of the skies. British, British soldiers triangulated the position of German snipers through trickery and the use of dummy heads to draw the enemy fire. Over time, the British gradually wore down the German advantage until, by late 1915, the Kaiser's army had lost dominance of no man's land. The British adopted some of the German tactics, such as hiding spots they used and the focus on tactical shooting to prevent enemy reconnaissance. Slowly, the British developed an elite group of soldiers who were trained marksmen, scouts, and intelligence gatherers. And once the Americans and British-Canadian soldiers entered the war under British sniper oversight, the Germans had completely lost the sniper war. Ironically enough, as the German snipers began the war on top, they ended it that way as well. The last man to die during the First World War fell victim to a vigilant German sniper at 10.58 a.m. on November 11, 1918. As it was before the war, after the war, the prevailing view of the military establishment was that there was nothing sporting about sniping. It was simply unethical. The sniper was a soldier of expedience coveted in wartime and spurned in peacetime.